0: Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken
1: podcast.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Deep Dive podcast, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast, brought to you by the lovely Queen Anne Beer Hall. Playoff time is approaching, RJ, and I gotta think the Beer hall is gonna be the place to be if you can't be in CPA, or certainly for all those road games.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it is going to be rocking during playoff time. Um, they just held a couple like Kraken themed, you know, watch parties to the last few games with various events, fundraisers, all that stuff. I mean, nobody knows how to put on a uh, playoff watch party like Queen Anne Beer Hall.
0: Yes, no, I'm, I'm definitely excited uh, to see what they pull out for the Kraken's first ever playoff appearance um we got uh i mean basically almost all of this podcast is going to be us looking and analyzing and breaking down and determining which potential playoff opponents we want the Kraken to be facing? We're gonna have rankings at the end of uh, each of us have ranked, you know, from like the the team we most want to face in the playoffs down to the one that we just think is like the absolute nightmare scenario for the Seattle Kraken going into the first round. Uh, as it looks like, you know, Kraken probably gonna just hold on to this first wild card spot. Really seems like uh, that's what they're destined for at, at this point. Uh, but we're gonna talk about that. We got some some news and notes and stuff. But first. First, rj i gotta get something off my chest that has been weighing on me now for about 24 hours and that's i can't believe that my little song at the beginning of my april fool's day video talk about adam larson being the best defenseman doot doot do isn't number one on all the charts it's dry it, like how it's it's brilliant
1: it really is. And I was actually gonna start off the podcast either. Adam Larson, do 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 best defenseman, do do <laughs> it's the better than done part. I think that enough people turn it off right after that.
0: Probably, probably. I also love that nobody like referenced the fact that I'm like just taking a gold record off the wall to stick up like pictures of us. <laughs> Which by the way, just so everybody knows, the pictures of us are actually always on the wall. The gold record's not. <laughs> I just <laughs> priorities absolutely absolutely but uh yeah i'm i'm a little disappointed that that's not everybody in seattle's ringtone yet but i guess you know what it's there's still time it was a saturday people were busy i guess
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, 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 it'll happen. It'll happen.
0: Yeah, that's what I'll tell myself anyway. Um, all right. So why don't you give us some, some news and notes, RJ? Team, back in town this week, you got to go to to a practice, got to talk with some people there. You got to give Jeff Merrick another reason to quote tweet us on Twitter. That's always a good thing. Um, why, don't you, why don't you talk about the, the news and notes from the team?
1: Yeah, so I mean that that back and forth with uh, Jeff Merrick, Daniel Sprong. I mean, Jeff Merrick is just so proud of Daniel Sprong. I, I love hearing whatever he mentions it uh, on Thirty Two Thoughts podcast, the Jeff Merrick show. Um, and so I had to go and ask. Daniel Sprong like are, are you aware of this do you know how much of a fan Jeff Merrick is of you and he said that yes he does know he's like I don't have Twitter but my friends are all sending me the tweets like whenever I score whenever I do something they send me the tweets and I'm like yeah no they say he talks about you more than your family does and he's like yeah maybe he should be my agent um, and then of course I, I put that out on Twitter Jeff responded um, you know I, I think he'd find my rates reasonable <laughs> mm-hmm. which uh, I agree and I mean hey um, like I was seeing comments on there. We've talked about how exciting the arbitration hearing would be if if Sprong ever went to arbitration. Imagine if Jeff Merrick was there (laughs) representing him.
0: It would be unbelievable. I mean, that takes it to that next level of, you know, you got to record it. It's got to somehow come out at some point. Uh, Pay-per-view event. I know people (laughs) talked about that already. I mean, if if Merrick's going to be there. Or just let Merrick in there to cover it. Be like the one reporter in the room, you know, doing like talking quietly into a tape recorder in the corner as to what's going on. I think that'd be fantastic.
1: Yeah, just like stream it live to Sportsnet. I mean, I, I don't think I don't know how Sprong would object to that. You know <laughs> what side Merrick is on. Um, so that that'd be pretty fun. So that that was um good good part of um morning skate yesterday. Um but on to uh you know maybe less fun team news. Uh, we did kind of figure out that andre burakovsky did suffer a setback so uh jeff baker with the seattle times broke that a couple days ago we were wondering because we figured that we'd see burakovsky come practice time when the kraken returned to town from the road trip thought we'd probably see him on the ice if the uh, initial timeline was going to be followed. And, you know, I think it was March or so that Ron Francis initially said at the trade deadline, he said that Burakovsky had resumed skating to his knowledge. Um, But Francis was asked about that now and Burakovsky has suffered a setback. So Francis didn't really give any details as far as when the updated timeline is. Uh, But I know Dave Haxtell, we asked him about it too and he sounded a little bit maybe concerned for that that timeline and that Burakovsky might not have the ideal amount of time to ramp things back up in a way you'd normally want to before playoff time.
0: Yeah, I mean, we obviously we finished the last episode of the deep dive kind of talking about it. And me, I just had this gut feeling that it was potentially not a good situation just because of how little we had heard about it. The fact that he wasn't traveling with the team, all of those things were concerning to me. I brought up the idea of, you know, Depending on what it is, because we still don't know what the actual injury is, what certain timetables would be for a potential return, and this didn't, this window didn't necessarily fit some of those. Um, So yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. I think the team is really missing him on the ice. I feel like there's a lot of things that he could be bringing to this lineup right now that would help them, especially with their kind of their issues scoring. Let's be frank, right? Uh, I feel like the team has done a pretty decent job, especially like you look at uh last night's game for us. It'll be two days ago for everybody listening to this. Uh, but that game against the Kings where the Kraken played so well defensively, they were just kind of incapable of getting anything going offensively besides taking some shots from the point, especially on that first power play. And I feel like Andre Burakovsky with his creativity, his passing, just his ability to kind of want to work inside a little bit and find some open space there is really something that the Kraken are missing right now. So still obviously want to wish him a speedy recovery, want to get him back, you know, in time for the playoffs if possible. But uh, yeah, I I am kind of
1: concerned about that now. Yeah, I, I am too, and I mean, especially Ron Francis, kind of just leaving it with, you know, we'll get him back at some. We hope we'll get him back at some point. <laughs> yes. uh, so that's kind of where we're at now with uh, with Andrej Burakovsky. Yeah,
0: less definitely less than ideal. Uh, anything else from the club?
1: Um, let's see. I was there. Something that I'm forgetting here that I mentioned to no. you earlier. No. I okay. Just thought
0: if something you know you
1: dawned on you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think we're good because, again, we'll, we'll talk about a lot of the developments as yeah. far as the games and everything that happened when we discuss playoff matchups. But overall, I mean, the, the team's been healthy aside from Burakovsky. The lineup has remained quite consistent. Yeah. I think this type of thing is what we're looking at seeing going into the playoffs with with, of course, Burakovsky being the the X factor if he returns the lineup or not. But I think Hackstall has really kind of zeroed in on some lines here. And if everyone stays healthy, this is what it's going to be.
0: Yeah. And, you know. I I believe in this group of lines, but it's at some point it's also like, I got to see them score some goals and that's, that's, you know, it's maybe (laughs) the missing part of this equation that that's make me feel a little bit better about it all. Uh, But I, I still, I like, I like a lot of these groups and I like the lines individually. I like the way guys play with each other amongst them. It's just, you know, could the production maybe increase a little bit and there's there's room for improvement there.
1: And I guess on the lines uh, front, I will add one thing and it's, Morgan geeky on that uh, Schwartz and Wenberg line. So we Mm -hmm. talked last week about them trying to figure out a solution there. And they tried Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of players out. And I was wondering what hackstall has thought of geeky on that line. And he made no secret that he has been happy with the results so far of geeky in that spot. He added that, yes, it's, it's a chemistry thing and you've got to build the chemistry and you you see it kind of ramping up every game, but he seems quite satisfied with geeky in that spot on that line.
0: All right. Well, I, I, I get that. Um, I've been happy with him there. Like we've talked about, I like him being more in a shooting role, not having to worry about being a distributor, not wor- having to worry as much about his responsibilities defensively, playing down the middle. I, I love Geeky being in that spot. Um, it's just, you know, again, I just want to see production from either of those top two lines, really, as far as creating a little bit more offense, scoring some goals. I just think that that's really the thing that that is missing for the Kraken right now is that kind of goal support for the rest of the game that they're playing. Um, um, they've gotten so they've somehow improved on the shot suppression side of things they've gotten really good at playing <laughs> through the neutral zone uh, as far as you know bogging other teams down there at it's just at some point you know if you're gonna keep games low event low scoring you got to be able to put up two or three a night and the Krakens seem to be struggling with that a little bit right now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I, I think you're pretty spot on with that.
0: All right, then let's not uh, let's not uh, waste any more time, RJ, with things like, you know, important updates around players and <laughs> everything. Uh, let's get right to it. The meat of this podcast, which is looking at all six potential playoff opponents for the Seattle Kraken. Mentioned it earlier. I think you've got the numbers to back it up. Kraken pretty locked into this first wildcard spot, right?
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, this is the path they've been on for a little while and it just seems to be getting more and more certain, especially with their their loss to LA uh well, yesterday a couple of days ago for you listening to this. Uh according to Money Puck, 84.8% chance that the Kraken end up in that first wild card spot, so very very likely. And that would mean that they are playing the division winner of either the central or the Pacific. So whichever of those two division winners ends up with less points. So they're playing the second of the best division winners. So uh, that's pretty darn secure for the Kraken at this point. And I think a lot of what the Kraken just have to do is get their own game right and just wait to see how it shakes out as far as their opponent and Good news for us in this podcast. There are six teams that the Kraken all have a really legitimate shot of playing in the first round. So lots of different options, and I mean, there really aren't any of these teams we can really rule out as a potential first-round opponent.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm super stoked to get into all this. I'm really excited by it. Um, let's you know, let's just dive right into it. Uh, this is the deep dive after all. Let's let's try to do that. Uh, we're gonna start <laughs> with the Central Division. Um, First off, do you want to you want to start with uh, who's leading the central division at the moment?
1: Or... Yeah, I think it's best probably go by standings, and and yeah. we'll we'll mention right now just um you know who the six teams are that the Kraken could play. Uh, there's three in the Central and three in the Pacific. Um, so the three Central teams the Kraken could play are Minnesota, Colorado, and Dallas in that order, standings wise, and the three Pacific teams are Vegas, Edmonton, and LA in that order as far as the standings.
0: Yep, definitely. So looking at and just based on the crap the fact that the Kraken are in the First wild card spot, most likely gonna have to face the, you know, the division winner with fewer points, which right now would come from the central. Uh it's the the Minnesota Wild at 97 points compared to Vegas, currently sitting at 101. So looking at looking at probably having to go into that central bracket if things, you know, certainly if things ended today. Um, and so starting off with the Minnesota Wild RJ, Kraken just played the Minnesota Wild earlier this past week uh and during that post game i talked about minnesota being a team i thought i i kind of want the kraken to face i think that there's there's they got a good shot against this minnesota team i know the result against the minnesota wild wasn't that great for us um but uh i i still i still feel okay
1: about it am i crazy now you know what I, I I think just a little bit. Now, we agree and disagree at the same time on this, and I, I'm going to try and kind of parse out what it is that that we agree upon and disagree upon. So I think we agree. The Kraken played a better game than that 5-1 to one score line would indicate. Yeah. Pretty clearly. I think the Kraken actually had the better of the play for the first two periods, uh, and I think you're on board with that. Yeah. Now, what we disagree on. The, again, the reason they lost, I think we can agree that it was goaltending, right? Mm-hmm. Marc-Andre Fleury just shut them down. He's had the Kraken's number since the Kraken have existed. And we saw another example of it this game. And that still scares me more than the encouraging sign of the Kraken having played well against the Wild. I I look at the goaltending, and it just scares me more than any other team on this list that we're going to talk about. Because if you can't solve goaltending, it's a quick series no matter what. At that point, you need Philip Grubauer to match that insane, you know, Mark Andre Fleury level hockey. And again, I, I think Grubauer could be fine against Minnesota. I don't think he's going to to match that. And so this is probably the quickest route to a potential sweep that I see. But I think if the Kraken can solve the goaltending, then it, it might actually look pretty good for them.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, you look at like. Team stats and Minnesota of all six teams that we're talking about here, or if you throw in the Kraken as a seventh team, Minnesota the lowest goals per game. Uh, they they are the ones that struggle to score the most. They do get by based off of defense and goaltending. Um, so that is the you know definitely the key when you look at Minnesota. But my my thing was that look I don't know that you can rely on Flower being Flower come playoff time, and I'm not just relying on old bad pay. Penguins memories here. I'm I'm talking just in general. I really do feel that way. And I also think that as you know, as great as Gustafson has been playing this year, I don't know that, you know, the tandem we've talked about this in regards to the Kraken can be a fantastic thing to have. You just ride the hot hand. You've always got a goalie who's on all that good stuff. The one downside with the tandem thing and we've talked about this with the Kraken as well this season is you have to somehow magically know exactly when it is that you need to be making those swaps. You you, you don't want to do, you know jump the gun and try to do it too early and you certainly can't afford to hold on too long trying to ride one guy and seeing if he's going to figure it out and get hot again or not. And. I don't have faith in the Wilds' ability to do that because basically we saw them not be able to do that last year in the playoffs. And this is ultimately what sunk them in the in the playoffs last year in the first round was they were not able to handle the goaltending tandem of Flurry and Cam Talbot. They handled it very poorly. And then on top of it, Flower, who they did end up going with for most of the playoffs there, only a 9.06 save percentage. It's not that scary at all to me. So I really don't think that Minnesota is... I don't know. I'm just not that afraid of Minnesota. I don't think they can score a ton on you. I know they'll be getting Kaprizov back. That's certainly you know a big deal. Um, but I I still think that they're they're the the worst offensive team that the Kraken could potentially have to face. And I think their their goaltending isn't necessarily something to be feared in the playoffs because they can only pick one goaltender. And I don't trust them to pick the right one through a seven game series.
1: Yeah, again, I think they only need to pick one goaltender. And if the Wild, I, I think from their perspective, get lucky enough to play the Kraken, uh, they know who that goaltender is. I don't think they're going to have to worry about that until Marc-Andre Fleury falters, which I think that's a big if. I don't think they're going to have to switch it up. This could be one of those simple scenarios where like, okay, well, one of our goalies just happens to have this team's number. And then we worry about the goaltender drama next round, basically. So that. That still scares me. The other thing I look at with, I mean, basically with all these teams, Dylan, actually I have a question for you, mm-hmm. for you, if you had to pick kind of one major indicator, that's something that you look at right away. If you just had two random teams, you're like, all right, these two teams are going to play each other in the playoff series. Yeah. What is, I guess the main thing you look at to try and indicate, okay, who do I think is going to win this series? Is it just simple standings position? Is it some kind of stat? Is it, you know, like their goaltending records? Is it, what is it that you look at more more than anything? Because I have an answer, but I'm curious what you think. I don't know
0: that I have an answer because I, I just kind of go based off of like the styles and systems I know for those teams and what I feel like matches up well against each other. And that's, again, kind of where I feel like, you know, if the Kraken are going to try to play super defensively, limit goal scoring, Minnesota would would struggle with something like that. And then the Kraken just have to manufacture some goals. And because I don't believe in Minnesota's p- goaltending come playoff time, I think they can. I don't know. I I don't really have an answer. What's what's your answer?
1: Well, I mean, it, it's kind of similar to what you were talking about. I, I always look at the season series and just how the two teams have matched mm-hmm. up against each other recently, because I think you know that that recency you know can can play a big role in like how the two teams match up. And I I just think that uh, you look at the season series and you get a lot of indicators usually um, in how the two teams are going to play each other. And I, I look at the season series against Minnesota, and yeah, the first two games were shutouts. The third game was almost a shutout. Um, you have the four nothing win for the Kraken earlier in this season you have the one to nothing win for the wild and a very close game um in the middle of the season then you have the the 5-1 win for the wild very recently mm-hmm. but i i look at those games and do you remember that 4 nothing win for the crack and i think it was back in november it was when they were really starting to play some of their best yeah. hockey of the season they were all rolling they had the depth contributions um i think they might have had all four lines you know contribute a goal in that game um and it's just different kind of Kraken team than I think exists now. I think we you know, realized that the Kraken team that was going on those long road win streaks and that we you know, banking all the points that have gotten them to this point aren't really the Kraken th- that are here today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I worry that you can almost throw that win out a little bit. And then you look at two potentially close games after that. And I, th- I think you have a good point about the Wild maybe not being able to generate as much offensively as some of these other teams. But again, recently... Like they've got finishers. You look at what Matt Boldy did in that last game. You look at they didn't even have Kirill Kaprizov, and he's he's a finisher no matter what. Whenever he's yeah. in the lineup, like we know he can do that. So, I don't know. What do you what do you think of the season series and kind of how those three games have gone? Or and do you even think that's a good indicator? Should we kind of throw that out?
0: I I mean I think it it is. I think it's always tough because like you know. You're talking about a couple games or, or, you know, depending on which team we're talking about, you're talking about game, you know, majority of games happening pre versus post deadline, talking about them being four or five months apart, you know, injuries happen to the two lineups yeah. between that. We just started off this podcast talking about Burakovsky being out like he was around for that four nothing win. You know what I mean? Shane Wright for crying out loud was around for that four nothing win. I believe he <laughs> played in that game. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, I just think that it's it is one of those things like I do think that that's a, a fairly good indicator, but. But it's I don't know that I would use it as an end all be all just because of how much can change over the course of a season. You look at Minnesota. I mean, I do think that bringing in somebody like a John Klingberg helps them out or whatever. It just adds to depth on the blue line, blah, blah, blah. Um, I just I don't know. I'm I'm I don't know. I, I think bottom line is I think the Kraken are an underdog no matter who they play. And I don't just say that because yeah. they're of the wild card thing. I say that in part because they didn't add anybody at the deadline. I just think that the Kraken aren't quite there yet as far as where their overall you know long-term trajectory is. They're a playoff team, but I don't think they're necessarily even a, 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 a round two playoff team. So I'll just start that off with, with for all of these teams, I think the Kraken are considered the underdog. But when I look at, at the Minnesota Wild, I look at that last game, I go, the Kraken, that was really their worst defensive game that they had played kind of around either before or after that. Uh, the Kraken played better defensively, you know, going back to that game in Dallas and then through the Nashville series and then all that kind of stuff. And then they obviously played better defensively against the Kings. So I'm kind of willing to look at that as an outlier. Um, they just looked off entirely in that game. Like the Kraken just never yeah. really seemed uh, that they knew what they were doing. And then they didn't. The struggle with getting past Flower in that game was the same struggle they had with uh, Phoenix Copley in this last game, which was they just didn't generate any, you know, they didn't get any screens on them. They didn't go to the net. They weren't there for rebounds. They weren't shooting low if they were shooting from the perimeter. Like they weren't doing anything to actually manufacture a chance themselves, which if they were they would give Flower problems because that works against every goaltender. It's how you're going to get to any goaltender that you're going to have to face in the playoffs. So I think it's one of those, look, if the bottom line is, if the Kraken play like the Kraken kind of played against Minnesota in that game last week, they're not beating anybody. They're probably getting swept by just about anybody. So uh, I I feel like it's one of those that I'm I'm just kind of taking each potential opponent here on their own merits because if the Kraken are going to play as well as the Kraken can, then – they have chances against any of these teams but if the kraken are just going to kind of not play well then it doesn't ultimately
1: matter they're not going to beat anybody (laughs) i i guess so and i i mean that's that's one way to look at it well i i mean here's how i would put it the i I will acknowledge the kraken are going to be an underdog in any series they play because again you're a wildcard team that's that's what that means you have to look at what is the path to victory in a series and, and how Likely does it look that you can find your way on right. to that path? Yeah. And in this series, I think the path to victory is that you solve the goaltending. Basically that's, that's mm-hmm. what it is. And I don't think that that's crazy. Unlikely. I think you know the, the path to a, a bad loss is that you can't solve the goaltending. And I think that's a path you could certainly find yourself on. Um, but, you know, solving the goaltending, I mean, we'll, we'll cover some of these other teams where I think the path to victory might be a little bit tougher. Um, but yeah, it is, it is doable. So like, I, I see what you're saying um, with that, but that really is, th- that's it. It's goaltending. And, and I think also on the other side with, with Philip Grubauer too, he's got to be better. I mean, the, he's only played one game against the wild this season. It did not go well. He allowed yeah. uh, what four goals on 13 shots, um, even though a lot of those weren't his fault, but still like, you got to be better than that. And, and, you know, uh, last season he had one really good game against them, but, Two not so great games. Career, he's 892 save percentage against the wild. Like Mm -hmm. Kraken are probably gonna need better than that. So goaltending is the you know, kind of most crazy random element of it. So I I could see them just figuring that out. All
0: right. So here's the thing, because I think there's I think obviously goaltending, I'm with you, is the most important path to victory against the Minnesota Wild, but there is another one. But before we move on to that other one, let's just finish up talking about goaltending and with flower. 920 is what I would consider a good save percentage. For a playoff run 920 plus would i would consider like really rock solid goaltending in the playoffs wouldn't you agree
1: yeah no i think i think that's fair
0: okay do you know the last time flower had it's not had...
1: steal a it's not steal a series but it's you know it's definitely it's good, good enough
0: yeah it's definitely good enough do you know the last time flower had a save percentage in the playoffs
1: over 920 let me think was it was it i this might was it with pittsburgh
0: no, it wasn't with Pittsburgh.
1: Okay, Vegas it's, it's it must be Vegas, right? Yes. During that that playoff run, that uh, that cup final run, right?
0: Yeah, it was it was his it was 2018. That's the last time he had an over 920 save percentage and in that time he's only been over 915 once since then either. So I really don't think the playoff track record is really there for Flower to be as dominant as he plays in a regular season because it's just the numbers aren't there to really support it. So I do think if you can do anything to get screens in front of Flower to generate rebound chances around Flower because, you know, Flower, he likes to be aggressive in his net, right? Like if you can get a rebound chance against him, there's a good chance you can find a way to get behind him and score with that. Um, so th- those are things that I think are important against against him because it looks like he'll be the guy for the Minnesota Wild. And the bottom line is if you just do any of that stuff semi-consistently in the playoffs, right now I think you get past Flower. The other thing that is the path to victory is, let's say you can't totally figure out fla- Flower, but you can maybe get two, two goals a game against mm-hmm. him with some upside of more. All right. I already said uh, Wilds, by far and away, the worst of all these potential teams we're going to talk about is as far as goals per game. Uh, it's it, The Wild have 2.92 goals per game right now, which is ranking 22nd in the league. The next worst amongst these teams we're going to talk about today is actually Vegas at 3.28. So that's a lot. That's a big gap between those two teams. The Vegas up at 14th. The Minnesota Wild, top half of the league when it comes to power play. They rely on their power play to generate their offense so, 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 so much. If you can just slow down the Minnesota power play, you bring that power play down to like 15% over the course of a series. I don't know that Minnesota can score enough to keep up with you either. And so I think that's the other kind of secondary path to victory of if you can't just figure out flower and get past the goaltending, then your best bet is to just try to choke out their offense, which is really choking out their power play.
1: Interesting. I mean, (laughs) what's so fun about this series, too, is we're breaking this down on the potential paths to victory is that we're talking about goaltending. And the power play areas where, and I'm looking this up, how the Kraken did against the wilds uh, power play. I think in that last game, it was, well, they were one for three on the power play. Okay. I thought it was worse, but um, (laughs) were you looking at areas that, over a small sample size can have the most variance and can be the most just based on luck. And you're just kind of hoping that the odds are in your favor uh, when you get to the small sample size of a playoff series. And I I agree on the power play reliance. Like that's something that the Kraken, again, they haven't, I want to pull up the stat to see like how they've done against Minnesota this season, um, you know, on the power play. But um, yeah, basically, Yeah, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, but that's why I don't I'm not looking at necessarily the season series numbers. I'm looking at just what these teams have done over the 70 something games that they've played, just because that is a large enough sample size to know the Minnesota Wild because they've played 76 games. We know they don't score a ton of goals and the goals they score are on the power play. So kind of irregardless of how they play against the Kraken or what the Kraken do against them. We know that about the Wild from an identity standpoint, just because they've played 76 games.
1: Yeah, no, f- fair enough. And I, I looked it up actually. The the Kraken PK's been pretty good against the wild power play this season. So um yeah, I, I think there is there is that path. You you've got I think you need a little bit of solving the goaltending as well, but that's kind of what you were saying at the start where yeah, you can that's just kind of get number one, the upside right. of three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> but, the number um, one.
0: But this is like the secondary fallback option. This is your plan B, which is important to have.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, and the Kraken PK has actually been pretty good recently overall. So um, I think there's there's reason to believe that they could do that. Um, yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting. I'm sorry, I don't have more to add on the PK thing. I think you just made a good point.
0: Oh wow, it's, it's what, a, what a like wow. Okay, I'll take it. Moving on then. Take, take the win. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Moving on then, uh, from from uh, the Minnesota Wild to who do we got next? I guess it would be Colorado.
1: Yep. Be the Colorado avalanche. Yeah.
0: All right. So Colorado avalanche RJ. I mean, this one is a tough one. Obviously the Stanley cup winners from last year, uh, they haven't been that like world beater dominant so far this season, but they've obviously been dealing with a ton of injuries uh, this season. I mean, you know, Gabriel Landeskog's been out basically forever. I just, I, I don't know. It, it, at any given time, if you looked at what their injury status was, you were seeing names you definitely recognize. That being said, still got Nathan McKinnon. He's still scoring like crazy. Miko Rantanen is, is incredible. And Kale McCarr is Kale McCarr. So it's still a very scary team here, RJ. And one in which those star players, I think in round ones, Against a wild card team or a team like the Kraken, I think those players are enough to make a difference.
1: Yeah, in any format and in, in any setting, they are dangerous. I mean, those guys—Nathan MacKinnon, Cale Miko Mikko Rantanen—they are very, very dangerous. And of course, that has to be the top worry about this Colorado team. Should the Kraken be matched up with them? We saw how powerful those guys are. Everybody watched that that, that Cup final. I mean, that Cup run that the the Avs went on, winning the Stanley Cup. There's a reason they're defending champs, and so it, it's a it's a daunting task for the Kraken if this is the matchup. And, I mean, you talk about them not really being world beaters this season. they still got the best points percentage in the Central. Like, they very well could win their the division. And if we're talking about the Kraken playing them, that means they did win the division. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not like they've even been a whole lot worse this year, despite all the injuries. Um, but I think this series comes down to the stars versus the depth. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of ultimately what this matchup is about. Can the Avs star players do enough to overcome what could potentially be a depth advantage for the Kraken if they're playing the way that they have this season. And we'll talk about the season series and kind of how that's gone a little bit later. But if they're playing that way, I think you could have this matchup of a team with much better high end talent versus a team with potentially much better depth
0: yeah and that's that's definitely it we talk about like paths to victory Uh, the path to victory is just somehow survive every shift that like McKinnon's line is going to have against you and, and then try to take advantage with guys like Daniel Sprong really basically win the way the Kraken have been winning all year long which is you know try to try to even things out in the top six and then let your bottom two lines go to work if the Gord line can get to work and generate some offense maybe Oliver Bjorkstrand kind of gets hot again uh, or Tolvanen gets hot again, something like that. And then you get like Daniel Sprong or Ryan Donato contributing some key goals for you on the fourth line. That is your path to victory. And um, that, you know, it's, it's, it's a possibility for the Kraken, especially when you look at the fact that, you know, Kraken's two top lines, you're looking at centers like Matty Beniers and Alexander Wenberg. If you decide to approach this series that way, and you tell those two guys, Hey, look, you got to go out there and you got to try to shut down these top two lines of the Colorado avalanche. I mean, there's a good chance that for a a vast majority of of each and every game, they're going to be able to do that or or they're at least going to slow them down significantly. You're not going to see, you know, Nathan McKinnon going out there and scoring every game or something like that. So um, I I think that that's their best chance against this Colorado team is just to kind of take that tact and and go all in on that, because I don't know that you can necessarily bail out of that later
1: if you if you try to without just getting overwhelmed. Yeah, this is one where a good coach can swing the matchups game. You talked about Wenberg and Veneers. You've also got a Yanni Gord one of the best mm-hmm. shutdown playoff players, you know, in the last decade, if you're looking at his record. Um, and that's that's just something that you've got in your pocket. And so when thinking about this series. You got to. Uh, the questions I ask myself are okay, do I believe in the Kraken's depth and their depth scoring? And I, I do all season, I do. Daniel Sprong is on a heater again. Like we weren't sure if we'd see that right. uh, a few weeks ago, right? So they're clicking, the fourth line's clicking. I think the Kraken could lean into that. The question is, can the Av Stars just run you out of the building? And we know they can, we know it's possible. Yeah. But I look at the season series. And I was curious too, as I was doing research for this, I'm like, all right, because one element that you see in the playoffs that you don't see in the regular season is teams just loading up on ice time for their stars. I'm talking 20 plus minutes for four, you know, 25 minutes for forwards. I'm talking almost 30 minutes for defensemen. If teams feel that they need that in that game, it's possible. And the abs have the horses to do it. Like Nathan McKinnon is always a a consistent, you know, ice time leader. Kale McCarr plays crazy amounts of ice time. Um, It's possible. So I was wondering in the season series, like how much exposure to McKinnon, McCarr, Rontanen did the Kraken actually get? Because if those guys were playing 18 minutes a night because the abs have a game the next day or whatever it is, you know, maybe you haven't gotten the full experience. And looking at Nathan McKinnon, the three games they played, 21-38, 2532 mm-hmm. and twenty-two thirteen of ice time in those three games. So I think that's you know pretty fair for you know McKinnon playoff ice time, yeah. maybe a little low for what we might see, but it's not you know out of the realm of what it could be. Mm-hmm. Um Miko Rantanen 2030, 2507, 1955. So that's that's still a good amount of ice time. Kale McCarr. This is the interesting one, 2830. Mm-hmm. He played 28 and a half minutes in that first game against the Kraken did not play in the second. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a mixed result. Of course, that's the one game the Kraken lost is yeah. the one that McCarr didn't play. And then 2340 in the third. So like th- those were all, all three of those guys were still playing pretty big minutes. And of course the fourth one, Landis Kog zero, zero and zero because he didn't, hasn't played at all this season. So that's another X factor right. too. Do they get Landis Cog back? So, I mean, from, from those numbers, like, what are you thinking? Cause they, they were able to do some damage, but the Kraken were able to keep it manageable. Cause that's, that's really what gives you hope is the season series. The Kraken have two wins out of the three games and their only loss was in a shootout, which won't happen in the playoffs. So like, is that real? Is that for real? Or is that just, you know, some oddity of the regular season?
0: No, I, I think that the Kraken do play them well. Like they're a good matchup. Like team and scheme wise because again you're looking at another team in colorado here where special teams become important where they're 25 plus percent on the power play like if you slow that down that's obviously a big win and you're slowing them down um and their their pk is really not that good so if the kraken can get anything going on the power play you're looking at games at least being close each and every time i don't know that the that that necessarily when it comes to like the time on ice stuff that that matters too much because like, I'm looking at their playoff time on ice last season and you're looking at Kale McCarr, 27 minutes, uh, in 20, uh, Nathan McKinnon, 21, 25. Like they, they, because they had a lot more depth last season, they were able to spread things out, but you know, you don't have like a Nazem Kadri this season. You don't have some of those same guys. Um, You don't have, you don't have an Andre Burkowski Burkowski even right. (laughs) Like he was able to contribute eight points in 12 games for you um, playing 1225 there. So uh, I think that all that stuff's kind of important, uh, but I don't know that it's the end all be all kind of thing. I don't know that certainly for the first round, it's that important, right? Like if that's something where it's like Colorado needs to rely on that through the whole playoff run, I think that's probably unsustainable. If you're playing McKinnon 25 minutes a night, right? At some point he's going to burn out or you risk him getting hurt. But in the first round, I don't know that that's going to matter for the Kraken. Um, I just think that it's, it's, it's as simple as can you survive enough of those shifts and find the big goals that you need. And, and I think the Kraken have that capability. I just, don't know that you're going to be able to do that four out of seven games.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the thing. They've shown that they can do it this season. You look at those three games, that's basically what they did. Um, but it, it's a different kind of game come playoff time. Now, the other thing that gives me some hope against Colorado is goaltending. And I know we'll kind of keep going back to the goaltending thing, but really, I mean, playoff hockey, a lot of it is goaltending. Mm-hmm. And you you know that Philip Grubauer is going to be the starter for the Kraken, barring any kind of crazy, unforeseen circumstances. Yeah. And I look at teams that cause get the Kraken's goaltending. When people talk about it going to the playoffs, like, look, it's potentially suspect. I think we can mm-hmm. agree on this. Mm-hmm. But Colorado is one of the few matchups that just I feel very, very confident in Philip Grubauer playing well.
0: Yes. Yeah, he's motivated against them, right? Like, there's a big reason for him to be playing well against Colorado. Uh, and I do feel that way as well. I think, like, just their style of shooting, the way they want to attack a goaltender, it kind of just plays into his hands. Um, obviously, they can still score on him. Like, he's not going to be, like, a robot and have, like, a 980 save percentage or something. Yeah, But I do feel that, like, that is their best their best potential matchup for them. And then you look at Colorado on the other side, and you look and you say, okay, is, is Georgiev, like, ready for this is he going to be one of those guys that like gets into a playoff series and it's like okay this is his like time to shine this was his first year as a starter and he goes all like Ottinger on you or is he going to be like okay I'm not used to the playoffs and you know I I, he fumbles a little bit like that's going to be an
1: interesting one for, for Colorado to kind of figure out as well Right, and and for the Kraken also, can they solve him? Because if you look at, I think it was only the last game that they that they played against Georgiev, but the book on him and Edzo was pointing this out all the time during the game yeah. is that. He likes to stand up. He doesn't like to go down into the mm-hmm. butterfly as much as other goalies. And the Kraken kept trying to shoot high on him. And, uh, you know, Georgiev kind of had their number up high. And Edzo was yelling, shoot low, just shoot at his pads, shoot low. That's the kind of thing you, you'd hope they could kind of figure out over a playoff series. And I think they could. You know, you watch the tape, mm-hmm. you zero in more on the opponent, uh, and you can figure that stuff out. So I, I think it's something that the Kraken could watch the tape and, and do better against him at. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the goaltending actually gives me some confidence in this matchup.
0: Yeah, it might be the it might be the only matchup where I feel like the Kraken kind of have the goaltending edge, uh, if yeah. if any of them. So yeah, it's it's an interesting situation for sure. Uh, all right, let's look at
1: Dallas. Are left. we crazy though? Are are we crazy though that we're sounding kind of confident against Colorado against well, the no, defending no, no, cup like, champs? Like, no, I no, think no. we need. To- just one step back and be like all right is this is this just nuts? i was gonna
0: say wait until we get to like actually like our rankings for this because like okay, i do not enough, fair enough like they are not in the top half of the rankings for me as far as ease gotcha. or who i all want right. to face like i'm just saying as far as like dissecting like the way to beat them it's one of the easier pathways to see and find but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily easy at all
1: right <laughs> so all right that, that makes sense all there's, right there's moving on to dallas
0: there. all right so looking at dallas this is one where it's like maybe a little little bit more muddled again the pathway is a lot it's a lot less clear uh the the path to beat uh a, a dallas team because the bottom line is they can do a little bit of everything like if ottinger going to be on you're going to have you know, a ridiculously hard time trying to beat him. Uh, if if they play like their kind of suffocating defensive system, that they can at times, you're gonna have a really hard time beating them. And then the bottom line is, oh yeah, you've got to go out there and stop like a hundred twenty five plus goal scorers that are just gonna pour on offense on you anytime you show the sinus the slightest bit of weakness. So uh, when it comes to Dallas Stars team, R.J. Where do you even start if you're the Kraken as far as trying to figure out how to beat them?
1: i I mean, it's they're they just have so few weaknesses when everything is going for them. Um, that And you start with that top line too. We talked about Colorado's star power. Let's talk about Dallas's star power, their line of, of Jason Robertson, Joe Pavelski, and Rope hints. I mean, that's that's as good of a line as there is in the NHL. So they've got the high-end talent, like they had last year, but they were a one-line team. Now they've got the depth to back it up. Um, you know, they've got Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan playing well. Uh, they've got rookie Wyatt Johnston, uh, mm-hmm. who did well against the Kraken this season. I mean, we saw what he's capable of. Um, they're solid defensively. And of course, Jake Ottinger can be lights out. Uh, I, I, like, as far as where you start beating them, I think you need to face Ottinger on not his best day. Because if he is playing lights out like he can, uh, good luck. There, there's nothing you could do. But I, I know I keep going back to the season series. But the Kraken did find a way to get three past him in that first game they found a way to get five past him in that third game like it's possible um they they have done it it is possible and i think it's a lot of the same things you talked about as far as how to beat flurry or how to beat any goalie it's just generating that traffic creating those chances but i think about in that third game too and ottinger there were a few goals that you probably should have stopped yeah
0: yeah no i'm that's where it starts I'm actually in a weird way I'm not that scared of Ottinger because we've seen this before with especially young goaltenders early on. They'll they'll come out and they'll have some sparkling early playoff success and then it's it's like a slow, gradual decline from there. Like nobody repeats that. Look at Martin Jones. Right? Like in twenty sixteen, like incredible playoff year. And then it's just like a steady decline afterwards. I my guess is it'll be something similar with Jake Ottinger. Really, Jake Ottinger, you look at him 917 save percentage, yeah, that's good. But it's not necessarily when, you know, three fourths of all your starts the way that he has. It's just because he's had ridiculous amounts of goal support that he's got the record that he has over necessarily his play. You look at his like quality start percentage, all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm I'm not as fearful for Ottinger. I'm with you, especially against this Dallas team. Not only is it important to get, like, screens and stuff in front of Ottinger but we also saw the Kraken have success just having bodies back there because the defense want like this defensive structure that they have wants to keep people in front of them and if they can't keep people in front of them they kind of don't really know what to do with themselves and so I think if you can get anybody down low you can start attacking them from maybe behind the goal line or you or even parallel to the goal you get two bodies down low and in and around fighting for a rebound this Dallas defense doesn't really know how to handle that. You look at how good any of these guys are, whether it's a uh, Haskinen, Colin Miller, or even like uh, a suitor. Like, it's just, it's not the way they want to play. It makes them uncomfortable, and they're visibly uncomfortable. They they show signs of weaknesses there. They show signs of not really being able to make those split-second decisions that you need to be able to make in a, in a panicky situation. So I think if you're the Kraken, the bottom line is, you send pucks on net, and then you dive on top of them. And you just try to overwhelm Dallas with, with numbers down low. And I think that's you, you'll easily have success if you do that. You just have to commit to it, and you have to trust your defense so that any time that that plan doesn't go right, to be able to deal with maybe a three-on-two going back the other way. But I, I feel like that last game against Dallas, Kraken played that really well, and that is the like path to victory.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's... That's something, too, where you have to worry about the transition, everything. And this is something that we highlighted with those Dallas games, especially the ones we saw in Seattle, where the Stars will bring a third forward back, like really, really deep when the Kraken try and dump the puck in. And it makes it difficult to get any kind of sustained forecheck pressure going. And I think the Kraken were able to adjust to that pretty well for that game in Dallas, mm-hmm. uh, that 5-4 that over, overtime win that they got in the third one. Um, and it, it also makes me believe that, that DeBoer can make the I mean, not DeBoer, sorry that um Hackstall, uh, Hackstall, thank you can make those kind of adjustments that he needs to make we were really worried after that second dallas game about him just kind of getting out coached um but that gave me some confidence that he can figure out the ways the kraken need to generate office and offense and get to those areas um so I, i think there might be something to that um yeah, I think the Kraken are they can't just play their normal, okay, dump the puck into the spot we want to dump it into and 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 go and chase and try and generate offense, you know, that way from the outside, because the stars, again, they bring those forwards really deep back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's something that the Kraken did find a way around. So that gives right. me some confidence.
0: Right. What you gotta do is you've got to have say both your wingers go really just straight for the net, have either your center or a defenseman take a shot from further out. And then let let your center hang back a little so that he can help out defensively in the transition coming back the other way and that's what the kraken did and i liked that strategy for them you know again outside of just completely falling apart defensively not being able to clear the zone late that that last dallas game looks really good for the kraken actually so i i i'm actually i'm not that scared of dallas anymore like obviously they're scary they've got a lot of good players they're a team that can just score on you whenever they want. But I also feel like they're the they're the team that the Kraken have actually shown like late season success against like with, with the current state of the Kraken, this is the one that they've shown some success with that I think could actually carry over into the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and and the the biggest area of success really if you look at it, 5 on 5, yep. The first 55 minutes of a game. Yep. Like they looked great against the stars in that situation, uh, you know, for two of the three games. And it would give you a lot of confidence. It's just when the stars have a power play or they're six on five, any kind of numerical man advantage on the ice mm-hmm. as far as skaters, uh, the stars are so dangerous. 44% on the power play for the stars against the crack in this season. Like that's too high. I mean, if that continues, the Stars would be in any potential series, I think, against the Kraken. So this is another one of those where the path to victory could be in the PK, figuring things out and just figuring things out five on six. That's a must.
0: It's an absolute must. But again, it's really just it's been a problem with the Kraken all season. Just get the puck past the blue line. Like, that's it. You just have to clear the puck. (laughs) That's all you got to do. And on the PK, you're not even punished if you clear it all the way down. Come on!
1: <laughs> yep. Path to victory. Clear
0: the puck. <laughs> it's not that bad. All right. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at on as far as Dallas goes. Let's transition now to look at the Pacific Division, RJ. Look at the teams a little closer to home here. And got to start with the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, this is... I don't I don't even know that it's been a while since we've played them. Uh for what Yeah, only so only two games in the
1: season series so far. The last two coming up is the last two of the regular season. So that might be a little bit more telling, but uh yeah, the Golden Knights.
0: Yeah, I think the the Golden Knights are one of these teams where I think your best solution actually is to try to be aggressive in your own zone and don't let them use their their defensemen to help kind of dictate what they're doing offensively. I think this is the one strategy that we've seen the Kraken not really try against Vegas, and obviously there's not really a lot of historical success for the Kraken against Vegas, so I think it's worth a shot. But in my opinion, I think... If I'm Vegas, I'm going to challenge them to try to be physical and try to get in my goaltender's face uh, instead of just being able to kind of pick you apart from out wide the way that they've been able to do in the past.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Being aggressive in the D zone, not giving them a whole lot of time there. And and I think they had some success in that second game against Vegas of the season. The only win they have against Vegas Golden Knights in the entire history of the Kraken, by uh, due. So I, I think they had some success there with that. And the other thing I'd say is on the flip side, you want to be a little more conservative in the offensive zone because Vegas is a very good transition yep. team. They, If you feed their transition, they will pick you apart all game on the rush. And we've seen that with Vegas's wins both of the two Kraken seasons against Seattle where... They get that third forward in a little bit too low. They're getting a little antsy trying to create some offense. And Vegas just has two on ones, three on twos, back the other way all day. And they can burn you on those, especially they can burn the Kraken on those. Um, So that's the other area I'd say you want to be really careful in the offensive zone. But the the Golden Knights are just such a dangerous team. If you (laughs) leave the third forward just a little too deep, just once or twice, uh, they can beat you.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That is definitely a problem. Uh, again, you could try kind of a similar situation to Dallas, like send pucks from out out far in, and then just have like your two wingers really battle for them, and and kind of bog things down while you keep your you hold your center back a little bit um, to help out. You know, with the transition, try to make it three on three situations instead of three on two, uh, because of how dangerous Vegas can be in those situations. And to be honest, I mean, that's probably the best way to attack this Vegas team anyway because they are so focused on transition if you can slow them down and force them to have to play defense and have to really defend net front uh, you're disrupting what they want to do not just defensively but also offensively and there's no you know better thing to do against a team in a playoff series than just kind of break their identity and I feel like if you're forcing Vegas to have to really clear you out uh, around their crease as you're just hammering away at their goaltenders on rebound chances you're forcing them to break who they are and who they want to be and that's probably your best bet at, as far as, as um, beating them. That being said
1: this is one of it's not happening, right? <laughs> like I don't know. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, Vegas has been very good against the Kraken every single time that, that they played each other, I think. They scare me. I think more than any other team, they scare me. They're they're beating everybody right now. If you, you look at Vegas's last 10, 15 games, they are getting hot at the right time. Uh, they're going to be a very dangerous opponent come playoff time, and I think also you look at the Kraken having some decent road advantage this season, season you know that's that's been a narrative all year I think a lot of that I know their one win does come in Vegas they got that win on the road but I think a lot of that road advantage in the playoffs just goes out the window in Vegas it's a very tough place to play very that crowd earns calls you'll see it in playoff time Um, it is a hostile environment to have to go into for those first two games and if you don't play perfectly you could be coming back home on the ropes
0: yep the other thing that scares me is what they're going to potentially do goaltending wise Now, this either scares me or it could be like a a, a really good situation for the Kraken. And it all depends on whether or not it's going to be Logan Thompson in net or Jonathan Quick. Because I feel like if you get Jonathan Quick, well, hey, he's struggled this season. He hasn't been that great with Vegas so far. And he really kind of burned himself out last year. Uh, I'm not as worried about Jonathan Quick this year. However, if it's Logan Thompson... Logan Thompson is really good. He's really hungry to prove himself. And there's not as much of a book on him as there is for Jonathan Quick. And that really, really scares me come playoff time. You know, I talked about like we Ottinger last year, the young goaltenders that go into the playoffs and then they have like a lot of success that you could see the same thing. I think with Logan Thompson this year, as far as a goaltender coming in, young goalie coming in and, and kind of first first bit of playoff action and they just have some astronomically high save percentage and they play out of their minds and they're just unbeatable. That really scares me with Logan Thompson. That's exactly
1: what I see with Logan Thompson too, and you, you look at the matchups with the Kraken too. Very limited sample size. He's played two games against the Kraken, but um, he's only allowed two goals in those two games combined. 48 saves on 50 shots. Uh, the Kraken haven't seemed to to figure him out quite yet. Uh, and behind that good Vegas team, I just I think it'd be a tall task. Although Jonathan quick though, if he's the guy in net, I don't know. Maybe there's a chance like he's just such a wild card. uh, You you never know what you're going to get from him. Like I said,
0: I mean, he's sub 900 save percentage with the Golden Knights right now. Seven, five, or uh, uh, what is this? Uh, five and two, excuse me. Uh, but, you know, again, they're winning kind of
1: in spite of him, not because of him. And that's... At 853 that's... save percentage against the Kraken in three games in yeah. his career. You know, it's 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 doable. Yeah. Um, and also, I, I, I feel like the need to add, not so much a disclaimer, but just like us bringing up save percentage. I just hear in my, this voice in my head. It's such a basic stat. What are you doing? But like <laughs> over the small save, Sizes, I think it could be a little bit more indicative and also it's really hard to pull up like, um, you know, uh, goals saved above expected for all of these numbers that we're citing. It's much easier to just grab the save percentage.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's way easier. That's that's basically why we're using it. But it is one of those things of like it gives you an idea of whether or not this player is good in the playoffs or not or versus like, you know, like I said the kind of decline that goaltenders go it's a, it's a really easy way to like kind of see that Of uh, just yeah well that's thing we're citing something.
1: it usually when it's very good or very bad yes yeah
0: this is yeah definitely uh so that's the Vegas situation they they are very 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 scary another team that's very very scary RJ but for kind of completely different reasons is the Edmonton Oilers and that's just because of one player essentially
1: Yeah, I I expanded to two players, but one player certainly uh, head and shoulders above everybody else. And uh, that is the best hockey player in the world right now. Connor McDavid flirting with 150 points on the season. And if, if we weren't scared last season about what he can do come playoff time. We, we sure are now like he just took over in last year's playoffs, uh, willing the Edmonton Oilers to the third round to the conference final against the Avs. And if if Colorado wasn't such a super team, I don't know, maybe they could have even made the cup final. I mean, this is a potentially dangerous, dangerous playoff team when McDavid is on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I still don't think he gets enough credit for what he did last year in the playoffs. He led the playoffs in scoring and he did it in only 16 games.
1: like that's that's crazy that's ridiculous
0: that's crazy and not only that he had 33 points in those 16 games he was better than two points per game in the NHL playoffs, like the thing that's supposed to be like scary and the hardest time to do that kind of thing, like he was, he was offensively a machine. He was defensively a machine too. I mean, he's the reason they were able to get past LA in that first round was really because of his defense, on top of the all the scoring that he was able to produce for them. So yes, path to victory for the Kraken against Edmonton. I mean, it's really no different than the regular season. You got to stop the uncle of David McDavid. <laughs>
1: Is that is? Does he have a nephew that's that's named that's, David that's McDavid?
0: His, that's his brother Cameron's dog's name, David McDavid. Oh, okay.
1: So like, dog uncle of David McDavid. Yes. Very, very good. But yeah, you you have to stop Connor McDavid, and it's uh, something the Kraken have had. I, I'll I'll be generous and say mixed results with, because um, <laughs> you know McDavid has lit them up at times. But you know there, I, if I recall correctly, there have been one or two games where they've they've not held him off the score sheet, but like limited him to one point or so. Um, although in those games, Leon Dreisaitl or Evander Kane has just sliced yeah. them up. So that could also be dangerous. Um, but yeah, it has to start with that. Making sure McDavid and especially that Oilers power play can't do too much damage. And uh, I don't know, you, you look at the season series, you look at just their overall record versus Edmonton. The results haven't been great with that overall. No, I think they've only really proven they can do it once. There was kind of a a 5-2 win earlier this season, but you look at all the other games and it's been kind of messy.
0: It's been really messy, and it's one of those things where – Like it's for me, though, like I don't know that I include Dreisaitl just like I wouldn't include Nugent Hopkins because I feel like that's one of those. If you can just somehow slow down the power play, you've slowed down those two players like so much of their production is power play dependent. It's yeah, it's Evander Kane and it's Connor McDavid. And if you can sell out to stop those two guys, I think you've got a chance. So kind of similar to what we talked about with the Colorado Avalanche. If you just say okay, our top two lines against their top two lines, what we really just want to try to do is cancel those two things out, and then let our depth win. You, that's probably your best bet. However, I think Edmonton now, all of a sudden, magically, maybe has better depth than Colorado. I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) At four, yeah, I mean forward anyway. At forward
0: anyway. Um, but I that's that's the way you gotta play this. You gotta be like, okay, Wenberg, your job is to shut down McDavid, and then you just gotta be like, okay, Maddie, your job is to take care of Evander Kane possible and you just kind of go out there and you just do that or, or you, you know have Yanni Gord do one of those two and um and then try to let the rest of your team get it done but the bottom line is if you can't slow down either of those two players at five on five and then certainly if you can't slow down their power play at all
1: you, you I just don't know that you've got a shot right well Dylan what type of game do you think I don't know the, the Kraken have to win because I feel like the Oilers could just drag you into a shootout and by shootout I mean the sense of just a high scoring game not you know mm-hmm. end of overtime shootout could just drag you into a shootout um but does that benefit the crack and does it not because I look back at the recent game which I think can can be a bit of an indicator as far as how these two teams might match up because they played um kind of late last month with a lot on the line right they were kind of right. neck and neck in the standings and so you had both teams kind of trying to give their best effort it was a six to four win for the Oilers kraken's goaltending was not on philip grubauer as we later learned was sick for a lot of that game yeah. that, that he played so you know kind of hard to judge based on that but one of the key takeaways i got and, and just, just searching trying to find some reason for optimism is the kraken did put four goals past Stuart skinner yep and they looked able to score yep you know would that even be something that you've you, would try and bank on and be like, let's try and win a three-four or four-five game, not necessarily just let McDavid and 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 Dreisaitl and Kane just run all over you, but be like, try and shut them down. Figure they're going to get their goals elsewhere, and maybe we can score four because they're not amazing defensively. And also, this was the Oilers, you know, post Ekholm trade. This mm-hmm. is the new Oilers blue line, and they looked beatable.
0: Oh, they looked really beatable, and that's why I say like like that's why I feel like that's the same approach you need with Colorado, you need with Edmonton, and it's just go out there and and let your let your depth be better and and let your depth score because your depth probably can score on Stuart Skidder, uh, you know what I mean? Like I I do think that that's the best path forward. It's just when you look at a team that's got a thirty two point four four percent power play. Like that's something you got to pay attention to, and when you look at a guy with hundred and fifty points potentially the regular season, it's just it's too much. There's no way you're gonna outscore them. You can't turn this into nine eight games and and think you're gonna come out on top in those. Um, I think instead you got to you know you try to you try to slow those guys down and and if you got to get physical and get them frustrated then that's what you do I don't know that that works against McDavid McDavid's the kind of guy that can just kind of get mad and then he just takes it out on you on the score sheet and that's not good (laughs) but like Evander Kane you could just get under his skin just go get under his skin it's doable we've seen it happen before with him so go out there lay some big hits on him have Borgen really just you know push him into the boards a ton of times and see how he reacts to it um but as far as mcdavid goes it's just you know don't give him time and space like like don't overly physically punish him but as long as you're always there to deliver a hit on him he's not going to feel like he can just do whatever wizardry that he wants to do on you he's going to focus on trying to set up his teammates a little bit more and uh i think that's your best best path forward
1: yeah, I, I like your point about you know the physical presence, and especially with Evander Kane, this this series would probably depend on the Kraken's ability to drag the other team into the mud with them, mm-hmm. which would be very interesting to watch. Yes, um, but I I don't know that the Kraken have it in them. But man, if we saw that element, it could be an entertaining series. I mean, you talk about building rivalries, yeah. <laughs> and and the playoffs being the way to do that. Uh, this one could build a rivalry if it's a long, se- uh, long series.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I think the Kraken have the personnel for it. I'm just I'm with you. I don't know that the willingness is there. We mm-hmm. haven't really seen will. it this year uh, at all. Um, But uh, I, I think if they decided to, you know, change for the playoffs, as all teams kind of have to do, uh, that would be the direction I would change into if I'm having to go up against this Edmonton Oilers team.
1: Yeah. One more thing I want to mention uh, regarding the power play too, because you've mentioned the Oilers, very dangerous power play. And I think it's worth thinking about no matter who the opponent is, Yeah. but um, this has come up a lot in league circles recently and, and research that's been done and really great research that's been done talking about how penalties actually go up, you know, power yes. plays, the number of power plays actually go up in yes. the playoffs, which is kind of counterintuitive. You think about it, just be being tighter refs, putting away the whistles. Um, so penalties actually do go up in the playoffs, but it's not evenly distributed. And this is, this has been talked about a lot and you look at, what's really fueling the the power play numbers being higher and it's the first round of the playoffs mm-hmm. and it's the first few games of the first round yep. of the playoffs. And that's why this Edmonton series especially scares me because you're going to have referees trying to set the tone, calling lots of penalties, giving lots of power play opportunities, especially for those first two games in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, and that's where I could see the Oilers getting maybe four or five power plays a game just because of how the refs are trying to to set the tone and everything. And that could be very bad for Seattle.
0: I, well, I thought about that too. But if you're, if you're them and you're, you know, if you're beating Edmonton, it's, it is because you turned it into a slog and it's a tough seven game series. And you kind of treat Edmonton the way LA kind of treated them last year, which really came down to the wire in game seven uh, in that first round. That's what the Kraken would need to do. Do you just go all out in those first two games in Edmonton, just as physical as humanly possible? You don't care if you give them six penalties. Right, Six power play chances. You throw away those two games just to start tiring them out. And just because you're like, okay, at some point, the refs are just going to have to back off because they can't physically call everything, even though they're trying to right now. And you, and you kind of then create, you give yourself a lot more wiggle room later on in the series just by
1: going completely all out the first two games in Edmonton. I would. I think that's a great strategy, especially knowing how NHL playoff hockey works. Yeah, just be as physical, as bruising as you can. Dare the refs to call everything. Yeah. Just and, and just know that going in that that's your strategy and don't get too concerned if you maybe even get blown out of the building one of those two games, because, again, those are going to be two tough games in Edmonton anyway. And, um, yeah, I, I think I, I wouldn't be opposed to that strategy. I, you're going to have to drag the Oilers down to the mud if that's what it comes to.
0: Right. And I guarantee you if you do that, you're going to frustrate in Evander Kane or, or somebody in there, maybe a Leon Dreisaitl, uh somebody like that. So I, I think, you know, again, it's it it doesn't sound like a great strategy to be like let's find ourselves down o2 to Conor mcdavid but it's it's an idea anyway
1: yeah and and also you look at the oilers too they've got stanley cup aspirations they're they're Absolutely. ready to compete here and the last thing they want is a team that's going to You know, bruise and batter them in the first round Mm -hmm. and make them even if they get past that series, you know, to get them beat up and tired, it's going to be frustrating on them. They want a clean path through the first round as much as possible.
0: Yeah, you talk about starting rivalries. If you're the team that sets them up for failure later on in the playoffs, like even in round two. Like that's the kind of stuff that'll make another fan base really hate on you. And that can be fun. You know, it can be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it's Edmonton. Come on. That's that's a good rival to have. Totally. Because I think all the chaos and panic you create up there too, if you're the team responsible for that. Oh my gosh. It's delicious. (laughs) It's delicious. Um, The Los Angeles Kings, RJ, to finish this up. We've kind of said it before. I'm pretty, I'm sticking with it, you know, as we'll transition into our rankings after this. Kings are the team I want. I think the Kraken just match up so well against them. We saw it again last night. I know that game wasn't great, and the Kraken lost 3-1. But, I mean, they they kept the Kings from really being able to do anything that the Kings wanted to do, and that's been the story all season long against the Kings. It's just that the Kings cannot play Kings hockey against this Kraken team. Regardless of what the personnel looks like, any of that stuff, it's just they're incapable of it. And that's the best sign possible for a playoff series.
1: Exactly. And that game just, it came down to one bounce one way or the other. And when we talk about the other five teams that we've just talked about, I think we would take even, even I think that's almost worst case scenario too that last game where it's just this defensive slog and, and it's just, you know, one bounce one way or the other. I think we take seven games of that where you just chance it to a bounce or, or a turnover or something like that. Uh, given what these other matchups are, I, I agree with you. LA is the team that I want. The Kraken have looked most convincing, uh, against them this season, I think. And even you can throw out that nine to eight game. Cause as every Kraken player and coach will tell you, that was a one-off, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, overall, they, they've they looked convincing and the Kraken look confident yeah. against LA too, that they can do what they want to do, play the way that they want to play. I, and I think, yeah, we did see that for, for most of the game last night. So they, the Kings do scare me slightly more after the game last night, just because of the defensive structure. Like they were very, very good defensively. I didn't even know they had that in them, but still uh, they're the opponent I want. I'm, I'm not too worried. I don't. I don't think Phoenix Copley is going to be, uh, you know, as as seemingly unstoppable as he was last game. You know, you can generate a little bit more on him over the course of a series. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, the, I, I'm not too worried.
0: That's the thing. Like, I, I get it too, because, like, you know, they the Kraken struggled offensively, all that kind of stuff. I thought Gavrikov played very well for the Kings in that game as, as well. Um, but... I also like how much of that was just that, the you know, the Kraken were really bad at trying to generate any offense like they didn't do anything. They just sent shots from the point that like with no screens that like Copley could just see from a mile out. Like I feel like far more of that was the Kraken not being aggressive offensively, not trying to get screens, not trying to be there for rebounds, not trying to even shoot for rebounds at all. Um, not try to work inside. I know the Kings are really good at keeping you away from the inside, but then like get creative down low or behind the goal line, something like that. Um, I felt like that was, that was a lot more on the Kraken than it was on the Kings per se.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And both teams were just so hyper focused on maintaining their defensive structure. I think that nine to eight game uh, that they played re- yeah. against each other really kind of scared both coaches straight, and they're like, "All right, this is not happening again. Nobody leave your spot. We're just playing this all defensively." And I don't think that would happen over the course of an entire playoff series between these two teams. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's just not going to look like that. So that doesn't really worry me. They can, they can challenge the goaltending a lot better.
0: Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, the Kings are a top five power play team and they haven't really looked like it against the Kraken this season. And I think that's a big part of this as well is the fact that the Kraken can win the special teams battle against the Kings for whatever reason. I don't know why, but they just do, do. And but this is hockey like that happens sometimes. Uh, so I I'm I'm still feeling really good about the Kings. I feel like that's that's one where you take away offensively the power play from this Kings team and you do a ton of damage to them and what they're able to, to do as far as putting goals on the board. The other thing is the Kings have in weird personnel issues of their own right now uh, that that I think you can take advantage of in a playoff series. We saw it a little bit in this one. Kevin Fiala is returning to the lineup, but he didn't look 100% yet. Who knows where he'll become playoff time? I think that's a big deal. And then the other one was they had playing up on that first line with Kopitar and Kempe. They had Quinton Byfield there because they're still trying to figure out a place for him in the lineup. And he was a liability on that line. He kind of dragged that line down a little bit. Not because he's not a good player. He's still like a really skilled and smart player. But because he's just so tall and lanky that you can push him around and, and take away the puck from him. And that's what the Kraken did was they were able to push him out of position very easily. They wanted him to kind of screen the screen the goaltender or try to be net front, play along the boards. No matter what they were trying with him, the Kraken's defensemen, because they're all so big, were able to just kind of manhandle him and move him out of the way. And it really disrupted what K- Kopitar and Kempe need from a linemate to be as dangerous as they can be offensively. So if the Kings kind of have to stick with that setup, that's something where it's like they're almost kind of taking their first line out of the equation for you because it's so easy to attack the one weak spot on it
1: right even the board battles where you'd think that a player like byfield with that frame would have a bit more of an advantage it seemed like he was consistently losing those
0: he's too so uh,
1: yeah yeah exactly at least right now uh you know he's too thin and so that's something that that uh you know could work to the kraken's advantage come playoff time the other thing i see with them too is the Kings I think are built with, with having Philip Deno cause he'll go into playoff mode where he's just going to yeah. shut down whatever line he shuts down and he's the best at it. And uh, there's not much you can do, but you look at the crack and how evenly distributed their, their offensive generation is like, I mean, who do you choose to shut down? And how much does that even really help you? If the Kings were playing against the Oilers and you've got like Deno on McDavid, you've got your shutdown guy against their star player. If the Kings were playing Colorado and you can just put him against the McKinnon line and then feast on Colorado's weaker depth, then that's a great matchup for the Kings. But with the Kraken, their forwards, their scoring, it is so much by committee. Yeah, that you're kind of wasting Dan O on, on whoever you choose to put him on.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we could transition into our rankings here. But for all the reasons we've talked about, L.A., number one for me, that's who I want. I think it's probably at this point least likely to happen, unfortunately. But I still think L.A. is the best bet
1: for the crack in round one. Yep, agreed they're they're number one in my rankings too so we can we can kick it off with some agreement there yes. i'm sure there'll be plenty of disagreement otherwise probably
0: starting off here uh for the second spot because i have the dallas stars as the second team i want to see it come playoff time here
1: interesting okay i mean it, it, we we talked about the stars a little bit but w- like i guess or do you feel more confident there with like say say an ottinger versus a flurry like what what uh makes that difference to you versus like a Colorado or Minnesota.
0: It's the fact that Dallas I feel like the Kraken have done an okay job at at stopping their top line. Uh, okay, you know, decently through those three games that we saw recently against them. I don't think Ottinger's going to be Ottinger in the playoffs. I feel like he's looked shaky against the Kraken. The Kraken can find ways of beating him. I feel like their defense hasn't looked very good against the Kraken either. I think you can you can find ways of getting past them if you commit to it. Like, again, all of this comes with, all of these are going to have asterisks of if the Kraken play them the way they need to play them. Um, but I feel like Dallas is the one that that is the easiest to kind of disrupt what they're trying to do, get, get in their way and um it's just the most you know i don't know i I feel like again you take out like six on five empty net situations and the kraken actually look really good through that three game series they played
1: yeah no i I think you're right and i mean that's why i've got dallas at number three for me but number two is colorado call me crazy crazy i i think Yep. I think Colorado um, out of the central is probably the team that I would want. And I, I just, I want an opponent where I can feel confident in the Kraken's goaltending first and foremost, that that Philip Grubauer is going to have good games, have a good series. I am probably too much of a sucker for the season series uh, when looking at any of these matchups, but that's the number one thing that I look at. And the Kraken were able to consistently win games Close games, what felt like playoff style games uh, against the Avs, their stars were not able to be game breaking in any of those games. You contrast that with a team like Edmonton, where guys were able to break free, even Minnesota, what Matt Boldy was able to do against the Kraken last time they played each other. Um, you know, the Av stars were not game breakers at any point. And, you know, yes, Landis might be coming back, but I don't know. I, I just feel weirdly confident. I like the matchup.
0: All right, well, forgive me if I don't believe you talking about you know talking bad about the Colorado Avalanche entering a playoffs uh, after last season. Uh, but i'll I'll explain why I'm afraid of them later on when we get to Colorado. Uh, number three, you mentioned you have Dallas. I've got Minnesota. Again, I, I, I don't trust in their ability to figure out the goaltending thing. And then I think, you know, this is the one team that the, the Kraken can kind of go out there and maybe just outscore. Like, if you need to turn this series into a shootout, I think the Kraken have, you know, a decent chance of winning that uh, over the course of a seven-game series. I just, I am not a believer that that Minnesota team that we just played against, I think a lot of that was on the Kraken. I don't think it was Minnesota itself. Yes, Matt Boldy's like crazy hot right now but he's doing that against everybody he's not going to keep that up entering the playoffs and his like kind of first extended period of a playoff action it's just not going to happen so um i i feel pretty good about minnesota
1: all right and i i know we disagree basically you know the, the mark andre Fleury thing the goaltending yep. thing we we talked about it already so that's why they're they're lower on my list so as i mentioned i got dallas at number three Yeah, I think the Kraken looked actually pretty convincing over those three games. You take away the power play and and six on five situations. So, you know, that's why they're there for me. I'd still feel okay going into that matchup. Who you got at number four?
0: Number four, I have Colorado. And it's basically because I feel like Colorado, they've dealt with a ton of injuries all season long. Whether, you know, regardless of which games you're looking at that, that the Kraken have played them in the past, I think they all have to get thrown out because Colorado is a team that has been there and done that already. They don't care about the regular season their whole especially with the injuries they've had this regular season it's just let's just get to the playoffs and then we're going to do our thing and i think you you know we you you bring up the fact that we haven't seen those superstars do their superstar thing it's because it's not the playoffs yet. Those guys, they understand they want to try to win a Stanley Cup for the second time in a row. They know they don't have to be doing what McDavid's doing because all that matters is what they do come playoff time. And so I think the fact that they're starting to get healthy, they might have Landeskog back for that series. Nachushkin finally seems back and and relatively healthy for the first time all season long. Like he can stay healthy consistently. I think all of that stuff's going to add up to, to just be a really dangerous series. And I don't think you want to be the team that they go up against first. Because they're going to really want to stretch their legs after what's been a tough regular season for them as far as just frustrating from being all injured and everything. And they're going to want to go out there and they're just going to want to kind of spread their wings and just beat up on somebody. And that's whoever they're going to play in the first round. They're just going to have to deal with that. And that scares me.
1: Yeah, I could see probably the biggest upside slash downside variance with the AVs. you know, as, as confident as I would potentially be given these opponents, you know, get, getting swept would not be entirely surprising given what we know they're capable of. So I understand uh, you being worried about Colorado. So for the five and six spot that leaves the Edmonton Oilers and Vegas Golden Knights, and I think we've got them in that order, both of us, right? Um, given that Vegas, no, we don't. Okay
0: no go all
1: right go ahead explain why you're more worried about the oilers than vegas
0: because the Oilers have a power play over 30%, and the Oilers have Connor McDavid. And we saw Connor McDavid score two points a game last year. We've got Evander Kane, who is super, super dangerous right now. I just don't trust the Kraken's ability to slow down those two guys. And then on top of that, also deal with the power play magic of Leon Dreisaitl and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And then on top of that, you got what? You got to deal with Zach Hyman. There, you happy, everybody? I'm finally giving him credit. Uh, <laughs> like, I just don't think it's going to happen. So unless Soupy from some reason is the goaltender in net for the Oilers, I the Oilers, there's zero chance in my mind that the Kraken could beat the Oilers. Like, they're the only team that I have odds literally at zero because I think the Oilers are just so, so good offensively. And the Kraken have sco- have had so many problems trying to score goals lately against anybody. There's just no way they could keep up.
1: Interesting, because I think I actually am somewhat confident the Kraken could score goals against the Oilers, and that recent game showed me that I think they can. They can score goals,
0: but can they score six a night? Because that might be what it takes.
1: (laughs) Right, but that... Again, both of these series odds, I think, are very, very low. I think yes. there's a big gap between the top four teams we discussed and these two teams here. I think you're talking very little odds with either of them. I, Vegas just – they, they seem like a more well-rounded team. That scares me more. Um, and, and even though with the questions with goaltending there, if it's Logan Thompson, I think he can shut you down better than a Stuart Skinner. Mm-hmm. And and again, the Oilers, if, if if something should happen you know, to, to McDavid or Dreisel or any one of their big guys – I, I don't know. I, I think it could kind of throw them off a bit. They still seem like a more flawed team to me, even as, as solid as they are. Um, that, that, it's I, again, it's trying to pick out little bits of I, like, you know, 5% know. chances of winning, but I know. Look, Vegas still scares me a lot more look,
0: as far as injuries injuries to any of these teams to one of their best players is going to freak them out. Right. Like, like, so it's, it's, it's hard to say that. However, I would argue that an injury to Jack Eichel on Vegas would do far more damage to Vegas's ability to score goals than it would to say like McDavid on Edmonton. You know what I mean? I, I
1: disagree with that. I, 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 I think they'd find the scoring depth, and again, just the way that they play, they could they could have the strength in in their the depth of their lineup, their scoring, I, especially in transition, like their transition game. It's not going to hurt them that much. Eichel kind of does his own thing.
0: Well, he's the only guy that can get them out of situations where they get bogged down in the offensive zone. If the transition doesn't work, he's the only guy who can somehow make something happen in the offensive zone for them. So I think if Eichel disappears for them against a Kraken team that has proven to be very good defensively, I, I think that's a problem for Vegas. Again, now I'm strictly looking through Kraken lens. Um, I think the Kraken, like, you know, you look at, at the rest of the situation. What was the other point you had besides the injury one?
1: Uh, the injury one, and uh, they can they can score. <laughs> I mean,
0: oh yeah, the fact was that, that, that the track. other one, yeah, yeah. But I, the bottom line is, I just don't think. Uh, no, there was something else. Damn, what was it? Oh, I was so ready um, for it, but I got bogged down in the injury thing because I thought that was you know again like you know Copa gets hurt for the Kings. No, I easier.
1: I got gotcha, you, I got gotcha. you, and it just they 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 seem thinner like Vegas, and also this comes back down to I think Vegas is better coached. I think they're better able to adhere to the system if something were to go wrong yeah. or, or odd too, and that goes along with too, oh, trying to that's... go the Oilers into be- doing yeah. dumb things or right. being physical. Well, work.
0: that's that's my other point. I think Vegas is the better team. I really, really do. But I think okay, I but I think that for the Kraken. They have a better shot at beating Vegas than they do Edmonton because the bottom line is they just cannot score enough to keep up with Edmonton while also trying to shut down the guys Edmonton has. It's impossible because you can't commit Matty Beneers, say, to trying to shut down, you know, have his line go up against or find him going up against Connor McDavid and expect him to ever create offense in that matchup it's just not going to happen so again unless you're counting on daniel sprong to be playoff hero with like six goals in the first round it's not happening whereas against vegas if the kraken are on and they're like a hundred percent focused for a hundred percent of the time it's technically possible
1: yeah I, I mean i i could i could see it again ne- neither of these teams inspire me with a lot of confidence matchup wise i i, I see what you're saying, um, but. Yeah, it'll just be interesting to to see if it's one of those two teams. I guess the the um you know, the takeaway from this is that we really want whoever's out of the central. Yes. Yes. I would much rather Because be LA the seems unlikely. I don't know that they're winning the they're Pacific, not. especially not. with with how they're playing right now. So I guess go to the central bracket is what that tells us, because man, I mean, Edmonton and Vegas both seem very dangerous.
0: Yeah, they do. I guess I guess it just comes down to what you believe. Is it easier to take away Vegas's ability to hurt you in transition or is it easier to take away Connor McDavid?
1: Yeah, I really do think that's what it comes down to. I'm a big believer in Vegas' transition game, so that's the way I'm going. But yeah. I mean, how could you also not pick Connor McDavid? I, I understand that it's, too. It's a horrible
0: spot to find yourself in, the bottom line <laughs> is you're losing no matter which one you choose. It's just which one do you think you look less embarrassed by? <laughs> <This is probably laughs> that's
1: true. Is. We have the different styles of the embarrassment exactly. So uh we, we know which one we'd each choose. Yeah,
0: basically. All right. So those are our thoughts on, on all of this, everybody. But I would love to hear, everybody, all of your thoughts as well. Um, it's going to be a really interesting one. The bottom line is I don't think the Kraken are in a position where we can and really, I don't think the rest of the standings are in a spot where we can really be hoping or trying to plan on anything right now. It's kind of incredible, under 10 games left for everybody, and yet it is still so wide open as to who the Kraken could be facing in this first round. It's going to be something that we'll, you know, obviously revisit next week when we kind of do more of an overall playoff primer, RJ, and kind of get everybody ready for playoff hockey and what to expect and talk about, you know, how best to keep yourself calm and alive and not stressed out too bad uh, while watching Important these games. skills. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a big one. Uh, so that's that's kind of like our, our preview for next week. But, yeah, I want to hear everybody's thoughts on on you know what you think about what we said and who you want to see in the first round of the playoffs because there's six options, and there's they're all kind of scary is the bottom line. They're all scary. <laughs> so really intrigued to hear about that. But uh, before we go, one more shout-out to Queen Anne Beer Hall. Obviously, again, everybody check them out come playoff time. It's going to be big, and we'll see you all next time.